You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. My name is Rick, and I get to preach the word to you guys this morning, and I'm excited to be here and preach the word, but I'm doing so just this morning, I think just with a little bit of a heavy heart, just as things go on inside of the church family and inside of just our worlds around us, sometimes that's the state that we preach in. And so I also prepared a sermon this morning, not remembering that kids are in the room. Uh, and so you guys are going to get the shorter, condensed version of that. And some of you guys are like, thank you. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to simplify things and shorten things up. I would like, and hopefully at some point, to go back and preach um, all of this and especially in light of persecution, because that's what the text is on this morning. But for this morning, we're going to get a shorter version of this. And so uh, bear with me, because I'm pulling a bit of an audible. Uh, an audible is when you change your plans last minute, okay? So just to be clear. So I'm, I, I did that this morning while we were praying in the back. I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to work through all of this. So last minute audible. If that makes you panic, don't worry about it. We're going to be okay. God's word does not come back void. So we're going to Preach through it, Matthew 5 this morning, verses 10 through 11, if you'll turn there with me. We've been working through this series called Live because we want to see and understand what it is to live, what it is to fully live and experience life, and we understand that we can't fully live and experience the fullness of joy apart from Christ, apart from our Creator. And so when Christ came, who delivered this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we're working through. We have in person the creator of humanity telling us how life is best lived. But what we have to understand this is he is the same one who gave us the Ten Commandments knowing full well we are not capable of fulfilling those Ten Commandments. And so if you treat the Beatitudes like we've been working through, like, you, uh, like some people do the Ten Commandments, you can place that in front of people and say, here's the Ten Commandments, follow these. And if you follow them well, then God will be pleased with you. You know that's a ladder you can't climb and you will continue to fall off of because we can't make it past the first one without constantly failing. The summary of the law reminds us of that. We love other things. I mean, if we were honest and pulled out our phone right now and we compared the amount of time that we've spent on social media this week versus our time in the Word, I think we could probably say, I think I've probably loved other things more than God this week. Or so my actions would at least show. And so I think as, as, as I say that, and we look at the Ten Commandments, we have to look at the Ten Commandments and go, we have not faithfully fulfilled what God has laid out. Christ came, and now he's back on the mountain saying, look, essentially, I am the one who gave those commandments, but I'm also the one here in person who's going to fulfill those commandments since you can't. But I'm also the one who's going to empower you to live faithfully to these commandments. So that changes the game. What we also need to understand is this. This is all pointing to our desperate need for Jesus as we work through the Beatitudes. Here's what the Protestant reformer Martin Luther said. He said, Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how we become Christians, but only about the works and fruits that no one can do unless he is a Christian and in a state of grace. So if you approach this and go, this is how I become a really good Christian, you've missed it. We have to approach the Sermon on the Mount and go, Jesus is first starting by saying, you simply can't, you need me, but I will empower you to live this out and live this faithfully. So that's got to be our starting place. We also have to realize that it goes completely against our society. The Beatitudes do. 
And what Jesus is doing is he's turning things upside down, but he's actually, that's how it appears, but he's turning things right side up. I like the way Ray Ortland summarizes the Beatitudes from a worldly perspective. Listen to what Ray Ortland says. He says, congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for the world lies at their feet. So this morning, my original outline was going to be, we can either have popularity or persecution. But to faithfully follow Jesus, you will likely end up with some form of persecution in your life. This morning, instead, I want our main point to be this. Two words, immovable and unshakable. So if you can remember those two words, you'll grasp this morning's sermon. So immovable and unshakable. Let's pray. Father, I know that in the midst of pain, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of hurt, we find ourselves grasping for something. Father, I pray that we would know that in the midst of it, that it's you holding us, not us reaching for you. That in the midst of our worlds being shaken and feeling like everything is being moved, I pray that we would know that we have one hope, that in you, Christ, we are unshakable because you as the king on your throne are unshakable. Our identity in you is unshakable. Your work, your words, they're all unshakable. And I pray that would be our hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me as we summarize, as we've just summarized the Beatitudes, but also leading up to where we're at in verse 10. Starting in verse 2. And he, being Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And today, where we're at, 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we look at Christian history and we look at persecution, it has been intense. I mean, incredibly intense. If we go back to the early apostles and the early church fathers, we can unpack some of that. So just let me walk through some of that with you guys. We have, obviously, Jesus, who was crucified. But then after that, those who followed him, we have Stephen, who was stoned. We have the apostle Peter, who was crucified. And and as tradition tells us, on his way to his crucifixion, he told his wife, who was also getting ready to be crucified, remember our Lord. He didn't feel it honorable to be crucified in the same manner Jesus was, so he asked to be crucified upside down. We have St. Bartholomew, who was skinned alive. We have the Apostle Paul, who was beheaded. We have St. Lawrence, who was literally grilled on both sides of his body. We have Polycarp, who was burnt alive while being tied down at the stake. We have Christians under the headship of Nero, who were wrapped up in animal skins and fed to wild dogs. We also have Christians who were, uh, uh, had hot wax poured over them and were lit as candles for Nero's garden. 
This is the history of how the Christian faith started for those who said that they, their loyalty was with Christ. You fast forward and you get to guys like John Wycliffe, who was uh, called uh, the morning star of the Reformation. And he died of a stroke, but the Catholic church actually went and dug up his bones and burned his bones to let them know that they were burning what he, what, what he was about and what his message was about. You have James, James Tyndale, also a man. He was strangled to death. He, he is called the father of our English Bibles. So these men fought for the very Bibles we have in our hand that oftentimes we can take for granted. There has been much persecution that has happened for Christians. And so I think that we first, if we're going to do any sort of faithfulness to the text today, have to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's also not saying, which is where we're going to start today. So look at the verses very carefully with me. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. If we move on to 11, it says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So I say that to say we have to understand what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. We, we would understand that you're not going to be overly joyful necessarily in the midst of persecution. You're not going to be thinking about frolicking through a field with flowers, and it's not going to feel like that. What, what he is saying is you can, though, have an inner sense of peace through knowing that God remains with you in the midst of the most difficult hardships you face in your life, that God does not walk away. And so that's what he's trying to pull us into seeing is that you can actually have deep, deep abiding peace when you suffer for Christ. But we have to understand, he's not talking about just suffering for suffering's sake. So we need to distinguish something. What persecution is not according to this passage? And I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't speak to persecution and hardships. It definitely does. But that's not what Christ is talking about here. So what is persecution not? Well, let's start off with a lighthearted story, okay? We'll start there. This week, I was in Bend with my wife celebrating our 11th year anniversary, okay? While we were in Bend, we were walking downtown, and there was a store with some mannequins. And I said, my, my wife is currently shaking her head now. Uh, that means go for it, Rick. Uh, there's a store with mannequins, and we get in this debate that I'm like, I just don't think this style looks good, okay? And I'm getting ready to offend a lot of the women in the room, okay? It was about high-rise jeans, okay? So... My wife goes on to tell me, she's like, this is what's trendy. And I'm like, okay, but I don't get it. And she goes on to say, okay, um, I don't think girls necessarily dress for what they think guys is cute, but for what they think girls go, that's cute. I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do with that either. So I ask a couple guys in the street, I'm like, hey, just curious, just, just curious as you guys walk by, what do you think of this style in the window? And they say, it looks like something my grandma would wear. <laughs> I felt very validated. <laughs> the next day, though, I take this argument and continue it into a store in Bend. And <laughs> I got whooped up on <laughs> pretty fast. So we're there, and, and so we're continuing this debate. And uh, I go, I'm just going to ask the woman that works here um, if, if they have the style of jeans. My wife's like, please don't ask that. You're, you're embarrassing me. And I'm like, just let me ask. Just let me ask her. And then I was like, excuse me. She's like, please, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I ask her, and she's like, no. And then she's like, why are you looking for those? I was like, well, because I, I, don't, I, I don't get the whole high-rise 
thing. I think it's, you know, and then she's like, the, this lady was offended, okay? And then I was the bad guy in the store immediately with all the other people in there that, that I didn't have an appropriate view of jeans and stuff like that for the woman community, okay? I sat in the corner <laughs> in the part of the store where I felt safe for the remainder of time there, okay? That conversation, I don't know why I do this, continued yesterday in the gym, and I should just leave it alone because I realized I'm not winning. I've made similar comments about Target before to a group of ladies, and they were not happy that I thought I didn't see anything special about Target. I was just like, it's kind of like Walmart. So that was offensive. Making comments like that and the pushback we get has nothing to do with persecution, even offending someone or having someone take offensive stuff we said is not what the text is talking about, okay? So if you hate me or you're mad at me because of the high-rise jeans thing, you can make fun of my outfits. I'm all right with that. My wife does that too. That's not what this is about. What it's also not about is it's not about taking heat for our views on vaccines. It's also not about taking heat for our views on masks. You see, when, when Christ is talking here, he's talking about persecution for righteousness sake. When people utter all sorts of revile things against you on my account, I'm not saying those things haven't divided families and that a lot of harm has come from them. But this text is also not to the left fighting for a socialistic view or to the right fighting for a capitalist view and all that that entails. This text is about persecution for the gospel and for the kingdom's sake, period. And so I want to say this so we can keep it short this morning with the kiddos in the room, is that the gospel itself is offensive enough in our culture today. The gospel itself is going to get enough persecution put on you, and here's the reason why. Righteousness, from the Christian's perspective, is not something the world can earn or gain. So in other words, the way the Christians start faithfully with their message is this, is there is nothing you can do to save yourself. In fact, Scripture says this, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, as it is written, because it's quoting from the Psalms, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. When you start there, you will not be popular. Because we live in a culture and a society that wants to think that we can do something in and of ourselves to save ourselves, to put ourselves in right standing with God, and to make ourselves good in and of ourselves. And scripture starts off by saying not just that, it goes on to say that we're dead. It goes on to say we're enemies of God, that we're hostile in our thinking toward God. That's not popular. That message will lead to some persecution in our world today when you tell people that they're sinners. And the inroad, if you want to mention it, is hell for those who choose to deny Christ. That's not popular in our society today. And it will lead to some persecution. Now, the other side of this is that since we don't start off good, according to scripture, how do we become good? Look at what the Bible says. Romans 5, 17 says this. For if because of one, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Listen here. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the abundance of grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how do you become righteous? So you tell people, you're not good. You can't become righteous through your own efforts. The only way that you can become righteous is by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone, all by the authority of Scripture alone to the glory of God alone. It also says this, Romans 10.10, 10, for what the heart one believes in is justified, and what the mouth one confesses and is saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through faith, you are as righteous as God himself, and that's how he sees you because you bear the fullness of Christ's righteousness on your behalf. So when God chooses to look at you, he chooses not to see your unrighteousness, but instead the fullness of Christ's righteousness supplied to you. How do you get that? By grace. It's not popular because it's free. If Listen here, if you want to get Paul, the apostle Paul, twisted sideways, add anything, anything to the message of the gospel, which is the good news, add anything to it at all, and he says you nullify it. And he comes undone when he writes his letter to the Galatians, because he understands that if you add anything from a human standpoint, other than our sin to the gospel, you no longer have the gospel message. It's no longer the good news. So if you do anything and provide anything other than your own sin, you have something other than the gospel. The gospel is not a plus anything. The gospel is sufficient through everything that Christ has done through his works and through his words, the end. All of life What you do impacts what you receive until you come to Christianity. What you receive freely by grace impacts what you do. The world doesn't work that way. So it's offensive to tell people you can't save yourself. The only way is Jesus, which led to a lot of persecution. Where do we go from here? The other thing that's going to lead to persecution in our society today, next to the gospel message is this. If you stand on this as your ultimate truth and say that truth is not arbitrary, it's not subjective, but in fact, it's objective. This is our truth. This is the objective standard of morality and of truth. It is inerrant, it is infallible. That will be unpopular. If you, be, if you stand on the fact that in a culture like our society today, that marriage is, is a covenant communion between man and woman, which the word says, that will not be popular. There are a lot of things that Christians will face unpopularity for, or persecution for, I should say, because we support and stand upon the word of God. Does that mean that we should change our message? No. It means that we should radically pursue people in a place of love while preaching, proclaiming, and declaring the truth of God's word. We can, listen, we can befriend people without having to befriend their ideologies. And I think that's what Christians should do. But you have to hear this. As I wrap up today, I want to conclude with what the gospel is. You have to hear this. When you face persecution, When you face pushback, when you're in difficult spots and seasons in in life, you need something that's unshakable and immovable. That's why there's this theme throughout David's Psalms that, that constantly he is saying, I will not be moved. I shall not be moved. The Lord will declare, I will not be moved. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 54.10. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54.10. What you will need to know right now, regardless of what state you came in here in, Whatever's going on in your life, or if you're someone who has faced or is possibly going to face persecution, the way that you can have joy is to know that Christ is holding you, that you have an immovable, unshakable identity in him. And so let me give you this, that Christ, when he lived on this world, in the final hours of his life, the ground shook. Christ's body physically shook with pain. In a sense, whatever it is to endure an eternity in hell, Christ was shaken with that. Whatever it is to be forsaken by your father, Christ was shaken with that. He was shaken through all these things so that in faith, in him, we would never be shaken by anything. 
we can summarize the gospel up with some W's. The first one are his works. Christ's works are immovable. They're unshakable. You and your life today, over your past week, over your past day, you cannot change the works that Christ lived out for you 2,000 years ago. They're unshakable. The words that he declared from the, uh, from the cross, it is finished. You cannot shake those words. They're unshakable. Those are the words he declared about his work. He's like, my work is sufficient. It is finished. It is done. His whereabouts cannot be shaken. He is seated on the throne. And since you can't shake him off the throne, you can't shake your place outside of him where you are seated. That's what Paul says. It's as if we're already elevated with Christ in the heavenly places. Since Christ is unshakable, so are you, which gets to our next W. Who are you? You are a child of God and who you are in Christ is completely unshakable and immovable. There's nothing you can do to shake your identity or shake the warmth of God's love for you. Look at what Isaiah 54, 10 says. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In the midst of all that's going on in your life today, in the midst of persecution maybe you faced, in the midst of persecution maybe you will face, I think we have something, I know we have something like David says in Psalm 23. Though my enemies surround me, he has this sense of peace and this joy because he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's able to say this. This, by many scholars, is believed to be David's last psalm that he wrote later in his life. And he understood that Christ, the Lord, God, was his shepherd and that he understood that he was unshakable and unmovable in the fact of who he was in his right standing with God. And I need you to know and hear this. I don't know what you've done this week. I don't know what you've done this month. I don't know what you've done last night. I don't know the position of your life, your marriage, your relationships, and all that you're going through. But I do know this truth for sure, that you cannot possibly outshake God's love for you, his commitment to you, his covenant for you, and the way that he sees you every moment of every day. You can't shake his presence and his pursuit in your life over you. You can't shake his love and ad uh, just admiration that he declares over you. And though you might lose the approval of family members and a lot of other things in life, in all of that, you will grow to understand and appreciate God's love, acceptance, and approval he has for you. You cannot outshake the work that Christ has finished and done and the love that he has for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son's work that's unshakable and immovable and for our rights, for, for our standing now, that is also that. We pray in Jesus' name.